Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue by Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. Technology is something that's so prevalent in our lives today, it's almost become ubiquitous. And sports is no different. For someone such as myself, the intersection of sports and technology is not only fascinating, but it's one of the largest areas of growth in sports business today. No one understands that technology growth and its implementation better than our guest today, Greg Thompson. Greg is the global technology business leader for Amazon Web Services, with a focus on the sports business space. In that leadership role with AWS, Greg has strategically developed new business with and solutions for customers in the sports industry utilizing the AWS cloud. He leads business strategy and performance to quickly innovate at scale. Prior to his current role, Greg was the AWS IoT Worldwide Business Development Leader for the Power and Utilities Industry Vertical. In that role, he was responsible for developing the global AWS IoT strategy for the power and utilities industry segment and executing on the vision with global sales and partner teams. Greg has over 20 years of experience developing the leading SaaS, IoT, and enterprise solutions for utilities, data centers, smart buildings, automotive, and now the sports industry. For a nerd like myself, it's an absolute pleasure to speak with Greg, not only around the technology that powers sports, but how that technology will shape sports' future. So we hope you all enjoy this conversation with Greg Thompson. Greg, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Hi, Bryce. Nice to be here. It's so exciting for me because we were talking before we started recording, me having a tech background, it's exciting to have someone else that, that works in technology and has that tech background really works at the intersection of technology and sports because we often are very fortunate to have sports business folks. So it's great to have someone in, in technology in, uh, you know, to talk about these things today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm very excited to, uh, to share, I guess, a bit of my journey and the stuff that I'm working on as well. So if we get into that journey, Greg, today, you're a global technology business leader for AWS, Amazon Web Services, and you have a focus on sports. And I think there's so many interesting things to dig into there. But I think what will be really valuable for our listeners is to give us a little bit of a view or a baseline understanding of what Amazon Web Services, AWS, does and, and all the things that where the outgrowth of that. Yeah. Um, so... Amazon Web Services, or AWS, as uh, people call it for short, is really the the cloud uh, services leader in the industry. So we really helped, you know, create the the whole cloud industry, if you will, back in around 2006. And so the idea is that you can essentially sort of rent your IT services, if you will. And that's how really how the business began it was an offshoot out of Amazon because, because Amazon actually created some great tech to create this amazing you know, retail business. So they thought, I know we're pretty good at this stuff. So I bet other people would like to take advantage of this too. So they spun off, created a really business to do a few things, which was compute and storage, rent it in the cloud, pay for when you use it. And, and that has really grown into those couple services into now over 200 different services from everything from, you know, machine learning to databases, to storage, generative AI is now uh, something that, you know, we're very, very, you know, heavily invested in. And so it's what companies really, you know, build their businesses on today, you know, frankly, you know, people like, you know, Netflix and uh, sports teams like the NFL and others are using AWS, you know, to move their businesses from on-prem into the cloud. So that's basically AWS is really focused in that area. Now, AWS as a company is ver- verticalized a lot of our, 
our work recently. So we have very specific disciplines around you know, telecommunications and financial services. And, and the area that I'm actually in is media, entertainment, and sports. So we have a whole vertical business dedicated to really those, those use cases and using our technology and working with our partners, customers to build solutions for the industry. I think that now you talked about some of those verticals. I come from a vertical that has a media and entertainment piece, but also a, a telco part. And there used to be a big pushback against not being able to see the uh, servers in your data center, the lights blinking. And it's incredible to think how far that has evolved because it, it's certainly not the model these days. And like you said, in many ways, AWS invented that space. And so it's cool to see it evolve. You talked about those business verticals, the media and entertainment sports that the one that where you focus, do you see a lot of overlap in those things, meaning the media and entertainment component in the sports, or are they really sort of vastly different what you focus on media and entertainment and then sports on one side? Yeah, there are some use cases that are pretty different. You know, you think about broadcast, for example, and it all comes down a lot to the customer themselves. So if you're a media and entertainment, um, you know, service provider, you're talking to, you know, Fox, Fox of the World, NBC, Universal, you know, those use cases to help with the broadcast pretty different than a team who says, I want to do analytics on a player to figure out how to draft them. And so pretty wide, expansive, you know, gap between the two. But then there are also a lot of overlaps, especially in, in the in the customer space. So you think about someone like the NFL, who's one of our, our customers, they're involved obviously very heavily with the broadcaster of the world, you know, the Fox Sports of the world. And then they're also involved in, you know, making sure that the broadcast can come out of the field to the broadcasters in a more you know, sustainable, secure, scalable way, which is all the work we're doing in media entertainment to move these on-site uh, you know, media production into the cloud itself. So if you think about if you go to a football game, you've got maybe 15, 20 semi-trucks you know, there just for the broadcast. And if you can shrink that down to three or four and you, you know, move a lot of that production to the cloud, you know, there's a big sustainability story there. There's a people story. There's a cost story as well. So that's a lot of where we see the overlap between the two. And then there's, you know, tons of unique use cases and sports that we focus on directly. I think the other story that's interesting in that too is, you mentioned the sustainability story, uh, just the space and, and the logistics of managing those, but also the ability for sports that aren't the NFL, that don't have those same dollars and cents that someone like the NFL has to be able to have a, whether it's a broadcast presence or even just a, a direct consumer streaming presence, because they can produce those things more easy using technology that you provide. Yeah. I mean, eventually where you end up, and I think we have, you know, some, some partners are doing this now, but you end up, you could set up a very professional streaming service from your five-year-old kid's soccer game, you know, <laughs> stream into the cloud and edit it, you know, and make it look like almost like an NBC production. So you're, you're not too far away from that actually. As someone who attends four and a half year old soccer games, I'm not sure the uh, market on streaming <laughs> would be too huge for that because sometimes even in person, it gets a little bit cumbersome. You got to edit the parents out. <laughs> this is true. We were talking before you started recording. There's so many things from a technology perspective that I want to dig in with you. But one thing that you brought to me before we started recording that's really fascinating is you don't have a, didn't have a direct path into sports from a linear perspective. We often think of people that work in sports, loosely using that term, that have, I worked in a front office or I evolved this way. And as you mentioned, your path was a little bit different. And so hey, can you explain for the listeners sort of how you got to that? Because I think it's really important to show that view of there are jobs that certainly feed into that, but it doesn't have to have some linear path to get into sports. Yeah, my only sports background was 
you know, growing up playing sports through high school. And that's kind of where my sports, you know, career ended, if you will. And I've always been a fan of sports. So I understand, you know, most of it pretty well. But, you know, my background is actually in engineering. So I have an electrical engineering background. I did a lot of work in with uh, other companies around, you know, energy systems and process systems and, and got into specific areas around smart buildings and smart cities. So, one of the great things working with AWS is you have the ability to move around and try different things. And so really what I did is I took a background in energy, sustainability, smart buildings, smart cities, and began to apply it to our smart venue initiative within AWS. So it's us taking our cloud technologies, working with partners, working with teams to help them design, retrofit, build out, you know, really these smart arenas, smart stadiums, smart tracks. And so for me, it was bringing along uh, a lot of that, you know, expertise, you know, that had built up over the years because basically an arena is a, a really smart building with a big hole in the middle of it. And so, you know, that was really my path actually into sports. And then, you know, once you're there and you land, you begin to learn and learn the industry, you know, I had to relatively quick is begin to pick up other other use cases, you know, that uh, that I'm actually leading for us as well, which is really around the fan, a fan experience in the venue, the fan experience out of the venue, then how do you connect it to sponsors and how do you understand the fan of your team, monetize all of that. So that was a sort of extension of just the fan experience in the stadium, right? So there's only the, all these connected tentacles um, that can go with that, but that's really how I backed actually into sports. It's really interesting because you're so right that sports is unique in the sense that live component of it and being there in person is what makes it really valuable, but then it becomes the content that people are watching externally. And so there's the bifurcated experience. We talk about those venues and the smart venue approaches. What's been so fascinating to see even over the last 10, 15 years is, I remember when I was a kid, venues are really designed for sight lines and concessions. Or even back to when I was younger, it was back in the days of the terrible looking multi-purpose stadiums, the three river stadiums of the world. and even here in Indianapolis, the RCA Dome, it now feels like stadiums are built with a technology-first approach in many ways. Do you think that's true, or have you seen that approach with new stadium construction? I think it's getting there. You know, some some folks are thinking technology first, but there's still, you know, very much a focus on you know the experience, the traditional experience of the fan. You know, where you set sight lines and all that as well. But they are really starting to think a lot about technology. Um, first, um, you know, and what's interesting though is when COVID hit, you really had this acceleration of technology because there was this expectation that was set. You think about you're sitting home, there's no lines at your refrigerator, so why should there be a line at a stadium, mm. you know, to to get a beer or whatever? Um, why should there be a line to get in the stadium? Like I don't have to do that in front of my television anymore. So, um, so and, and so that's where things like digital ticketing really began to take off. Um, just to really help the overall fan experience. And so now, you know, technologies like we offer from uh, from Amazon, like our Just Walk Out stores, where you can literally just scan your palm or scan your credit card, walk in, grab a beer in nine seconds, which we've actually timed it in the Climate Pledge Arena to get in and out, back to your seat, has become more of an expectation. So COVID really changed people's, you know, I guess, perceptions, expectations of what an experience should look like, plus really the digital, the connectivity. And so there's a ton of investment being made around the telcos, you know, making a better connected experience, the wayfinding, all that. And so 
you still want to watch a great game. You don't want to be, you know, sitting sideways watching, you know, the baseball game, like, uh, like some stadiums, but the digital is very, very much top of mind for folks. It does seem that way. And it's also a paradigm shift in that I feel like for years and years, the goal was to replicate the in-stadium experience at home on television. It's just a, hey, you, we want you to see what's happening at the stadium. It almost seems like that dichotomy's flipped. And now the stadiums are trying to create the same experience that you would have at home. You mentioned some of the convenience, but it's also the engagement too. We talked back about the fan experience. Having small children, for me, going to an NBA game is great for them because of all the, the tangential things that are around to, to create that engagement. And I think that is a really interesting shift because you mentioned the fan experience. I think you can certainly talk about some of those use cases. It does seem flipped that we're trying to create more engaging experiences while at the venue that are separate and apart from the game itself. Yeah, completely. And actually, there's some teams we talk to who are concerned by that because they want mm. they want the fans engaged. They want that home court, home field advantage. So they don't want everybody on their phones all the time, certainly. So it is a bit of a pendulum swinging back and forth. And I guess the, the middle ground is I want you engaged as a fan, but I also want you to keep coming back and I want you to buy stuff when you're here. And how do I best balance all those? So no one's quite figured that out yet, and they're experimenting, and that's that's kind of how we approach things too. You know, we we want to experiment and learn, pick up, you do something else, and that's that's really the culture we try to drive into our customers. You mentioned some of the things about retrofitting some of the new stadiums, where you can look at a Legionnaire or SoFi or in the NBA, into a dome, and so on. Obviously, have the ability to create that infrastructure, create those spaces as they build. Is there more of a challenge when someone comes to you and says, from a technical perspective, we have some of these limitations. It's an older venue, which could bring hardware limitations, but also with those hardware limitations comes some other limitations for fan engagement and so on. Do you find it harder from a retrofitting perspective or does it actually even matter? Well, I mean, it kind of depends on what you're doing. So like I mentioned a bit about the stores, you know, that's actually a physical space you have to mm -hmm. actually carve out. And so then you get in these older arenas where you don't have a lot of hallway space. You know, the new ones are built to kind of wide expanse of their area and the older ones actually aren't. So it is like finding a corner <laughs> to put something. Um, and that, that can be a bit of a challenge. Um, you know, in some places I was actually talking to a customer this week, like they can't actually move walls. Like there's some actually historical, you know, mm. uh, limitations to the actual building that prevents them from doing that. So yeah, there can be challenges to that. Um, but when you're talking about overall digital and mobile experiences, like second screen experiences in the venue, really what it comes down to is just getting the fast Wi-Fi or the fast 5G in the stadium, um, you know, to really you know, create the experience for the fan. It's true. Yeah. To create those underlying experiences, to create those experiences on top of it, you have to have the underlying network that gives you the ability to, those experiences aren't going to be that valuable if there's no connectivity or no speed to them at all. So it, it, it is so important to create that underlying connectivity. Yeah, totally. And it, it was even there's a bit of an economics uh, to this as well. So if you think about a football stadium, it's probably a bit more difficult because you've got, you know, what, 10, if it's NFL stadium, you got 10 games a year, you might have an MLS team in there. So, you know, those things will have maybe 50 large events a year with concerts. And then the rest of the time, it's pretty idle. So if you're a telco investing a ton of money to make a great experience where, you know, 50, 80,000 fans can upload to Instagram, you know, quickly versus, you know, where you can invest money, you know, other places, it's a bit of a challenge. So, um, 
you know, an arena is a bit different because you can be occupied 200, 250 times a year. So that, that is a bit of a challenge for them. And there's experimentation happening. Uh, new technology is coming. You know, 5G is certainly a big part of that. Wi-Fi 6 is another part of that. Um, but it's, it's, it's important, it's foundational to your point, to making a lot of this tech work. If you don't have the network, you don't really have much of anything. No, and, and it is cool to see what developers and what folks like yourself from a fan experience perspective can do on top of those things. But that baseline being there obviously is important. You, you talk about working with these customers and working with folks in the sports industry, whether that's the venue or the teams or the leagues. But one question I have is always we look at sports oftentimes, historically speaking, of being behind the times isn't the right way to say it, but not necessarily the most tech forward folks. Have you seen over the evolution of this that there are direct uh, technical teams in those leagues and venues? and Or is it more that they're looking for outside sources like yourself to provide that thought leadership around creating these types of experiences? It's, it, honestly, it's pretty broad. You'll have uh, certainly uh, leagues that are very forward-looking. They, they realize that they have to make investments, but they typically won't make investments in what we call builders. So somebody who actually does the coding. Um, hmm. A lot of that is, you know, outsourced for someone to build for them or they want to buy off the shelf, um, you know, technology. So they are staffing up really, really smart, you know, people internally, tech people, IT people, digital leaders. They typically don't have the large staff to build things. So they'll lean on partners like AWS, AWS partners as well that we can bring in to help them, you know, do that. Yeah, it's interesting because we often talk about jobs and sports and the evolution of roles in sports. And I think that there is a space for that with teams and leagues and venues, especially too, as they go forward and try to create these experiences. There wasn't dedicated folks in those types of, of roles. And I think we see more of it now, but then also the work with with people like yourself and, and AWS and other partners. With that, we talked about fan engagement. And what's really interesting to me is, I think oftentimes we think of AWS, as an example, you see it in broadcasts where next generation stats brought to you by Amazon Web Services. That comes to front of mind, which I think there's obviously a play there. But then when you step outside of that, the fan engagement component seems to be growing from a technical perspective. When we talk about fan engagement, what does that necessarily mean to you? And what have you seen from in the market perspective of trying to create fan engagement through technology? Um, so there's a couple of elements of this. So one is the actual true fan engagement itself. Um, and what, you, what you're really trying to do is help the fan better engage with the team or with the event when they're obviously in the stadium or when they're not in the stadium, because the vast majority of, of viewers of, a, of an event typically are not in the stadium. And so fan engagement should be there to augment the game, you don't want to replace the game. And so you, you see that, you know, of, um, you know, virtual reality technologies and this idea of this metaverse. And I guess we'll see where that actually goes. But you don't want to really supplant the actual game. You really want to augment it. And if you look at some of the stats, you know, right now, at least half the people use a second screen experience when watching a game. It could be just texting. It could be looking up stats on players. And so the question is, how do you interlace that together to where it's a very seamless experience for the fan while they're watching, not really distracting them, but really adding value to the actual event itself? So that's sort of the fan-facing part of that. The, the back of that is teams really, really want to understand their, their fans better. And they're really, frankly, kind of lagging in the industry and really truly understanding their fans versus other industries like airlines or hotels or something you know like that. So they want to really help to, they need help 
understanding their fans better. So that's where these technologies, these second screen technologies like gamification or polls and quizzes, all these fun stuff you like to actually do really help create uh, first party data, true understanding of the fan to help them get that 360 degree view of the fan so they can better serve them, their personalized experience, and really, frankly, monetize that relationship with sponsors, which is a big part of the revenue stream for teams. It is interesting. And you mentioned it earlier because that engagement, so much of it we talk about, you know, using a phone, using these devices, but in some ways that can detract from the actual purpose of being in the venue, which is to watch the event. And so is there a push and pull with that of, well, maybe we don't want an experience like this because then they're just going to be buried in their phone so much, or we want an experience like this because there was a great use case with the Carolina Panthers where they did an a an AR implementation and it people were on their phones, but it was interacting with the physical space of the mm-hmm. game. Is that a push and pull that you get from sports customers that you work with? Uh, it's definitely a push and pull. It's a lot of experimentation, frankly, on, on what's actually going to work. So, you know, that that was a really cool example of what you can do with, with AR. Um, I don't know if that's really been replicated much that I've actually seen, um, but it was it's great press for sure. Mm-hmm. Ideally, what you want to do is you want to do those kinds of things in a way that actually really enhances the fans' experience, but also learn more about your fans while you're doing it. That's what's really important to a lot of teams. Obviously, make a great experience for the fans while they're there. But I really, really want to understand them. I want to know them before they get there. I want to know who's coming. I want to know who's actually in the arena and the stadium because they typically don't know them very well because there's all these, you know, kind of second market ticketing that goes on. People pass off stuff like you really don't know who's actually there. So doing those fan engagement applications is important to really, really understand those fans better. And you have to do it in a way that that incentivizes the fan to want to give you that information. It's got to be fun. It's got to, I got to get something out of that because me, as much as I am a tech, I like to just go to a game, just watch the game, you know, mm-hmm. go to a baseball games. I'm just a you know baseball nut. Just watch the nuances of the game. I don't want to be on my phone, right. but if you're giving me something that's interesting that I can't get value other places, and I'll give you up a bit of information that you know, helps you learn more about me. And additive too. I think that's a goal of these things to make the situation additive versus taking away from the, the piece on the field. And you mentioned some of those things where over the last couple of years, fans have come to expect a higher level of convenience, the ordering of concessions and not having to get up, which I think is a great way to continue that engagement because you're still sitting in your seat and you don't have to move or ordering of merchandise or whatever that may be. I think that omni-channel view of, of understanding the fan is obviously something that Amazon proper from an Amazon perspective, maybe nobody, no company in the world better understands their consumer than Amazon. So I I can imagine it's probably pretty easy to have that conversation of, Hey, here's how you can help understand that fan better and what it can bring you because Amazon has such amazing ability to understand their consumer today with their services. Uh, It does make for a really easy conversation, certainly with the teams is because the experience we actually have. And the question is like, what do we do? as I mentioned before, that makes it intriguing for the fan to want to give up that information. Because when you're buying from Amazon, you're, I mean, there's obviously something you want and it needs to be shipped, needs to be shipped fast or you're streaming a movie or whatever, those things you're actually asking of them. Uh, And so that's an easy thing to kind of build that profile of the customer. But if it's a game, I just want a ticket, I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna set, and then I'm gonna buy, you know, hot dog and beer or whatever. That's what I'm going there for. So these other things are kind of, 
in addition, maybe distraction. So it really does come back to like what additional value you're giving to me for me to hand that information over to you. Because, you know, these days now we have a lot more privacy restrictions, you know, in certain parts of the world, you know, and, and even Apple's taking away like cookies and stuff, things like that, you know, on the phones, it makes it even harder to track folks. It does. And it also makes it harder to track folks and give that omni-channel experience when it's kind of bifurcated in that there may be a, a venue app, there may be a dedicated team app. Uh, the, if you're like you talked about the, the secondary market for tickets, you don't necessarily know exactly who's coming through the door and what they purchased previously. Whereas an e-commerce experience, you know, the person that's authenticating in their credit card and buying their purchase history it makes that much easier. So I, I can certainly see an uphill battle in that sense. One thing you mentioned, we talked a little bit about AR and by extension VR as well. VR is something that I can honestly say I was dead wrong about. And the reason I say that is now that could change based on some recent announcements from hardware. But I thought we had a perfect use case starting in March of 2020 of you have the at-home experience where you're watching on television. You have the in-stadium experience where you're in person. VR could be somewhere in the middle and all of us stuck at home and nobody in venues and gave a really good use case for that. But we certainly didn't see it take off. Have you had many dealings in those spaces and how do you see that you know evolving? So the the augmented reality is areas where we see probably more interest than just straight VR. The the, the idea for VR is um, not in the venue, right? So you don't want. I mean, why would why would you replicate a venue experience when you're in the venue? So right. the question is, can you take VR and you can you create a in stadium experience for someone who's actually at home? Mm-hmm. Because that, you know, frankly, would allow teams to actually sell almost courtside tickets, if you will, without actually having to build a bigger arena with a bigger court. So um, there's still experimentation happening on the VR side of that. And to do that well, you've got to you know, create a great environment for the fan. There was a lot of data streaming that goes into that as well. Um, I think the cost of that is still a bit prohibitive, you know, like Apple just came out with their new VR headset, it's like $3,500. So the question is, you know, how, how what's the uptake on that gonna be? I mean, who'd have thought you'd ever spend a thousand dollars on a telephone? So we'll just, we'll just see where it goes. It's a great platform to probably build on, uh, but there's probably ways to go in there. Um, the AR technologies is pretty interesting, which is, it, it can be a bit simpler where it's, you're just basically adding, I guess you're augmenting the view that you're looking at the court or the ice. And we were doing this a bit, even with um, one of our customers in Canada, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, is you know, we're, we're getting puck and player data actually off the ice in near real time, and then running it through our analytics and getting stats and data. And you can look through your glasses and you actually watch the game, but you're also getting additive information and stats and who the players are, where the puck is and all that. That's still a bit of an experimentation too. That requires a lot of heavy data, telco, low latency applications to make that actually work. Um, and we'll see where that goes too. I think it's a really good point you mentioned when, back to what we were saying about being additive. The VR experience is very singular in a lot of ways, even at home. I have Oculus devices that I've used. And it's funny because every time I put one of those on, whether it's my wife or my children are laughing at me or messing with me because you can't see anything around you. Yeah, And Sports is such a communal experience in many ways. I think that that takes away from it. But on the flip side, the AR component that you mentioned, sports is such a great use case for that because of things like you mentioned, it, whether it's classes or whether it's even your phone and you pick that up, 
the added experience of overlaying stats or overlaying where the puck is or the ability to do something where you could overlay predictive pieces. If they could run a run play, it would look like this or those types of things. And I think that the experimentation, like you mentioned, my guess is that we'll see a lot more of that in the AR component of it versus VR in the sense that that becomes much more of a singular experience. Yeah, probably so. And then there's even the not so much even XR, but it's really adding value to the, the experience of the fans. So it's just taking really intelligent streaming data, calculating statistics, forecasts. We do this for the NFL you know, next gen stats. We also do it for Formula One. If you ever watch a Formula One race, there's all these stats that are streamed actually to the broadcast itself. So there's on the cars like 300 different data points on the cars, like a million data points a second coming off these cars, and it generates, you know, these statistics like overtake predictions and all this that are interesting mm-hmm. to the fan. You don't have to have glasses, but you're just enhancing the experience of the fan that you're not getting when you're actually at the race. It is really cool to see those things. I think Formula One has done an amazing job of, and on the baseline level, just providing the content to consumers like in the US. I think a lot of that drove with the driver survive that was, and then it personal interest story, and then people got more into it. But like you mentioned, the statistics and overlaying those, and I think part of that too helped with understanding the sport a little bit better for people that were not as knowledgeable because it was a newer thing in, in the US. And that overlay of statistics, obviously the use case that we see really readily, and you mentioned it before, and obviously play into that. Do you still see that as part of the core services that you provide, not only across the board from a teams and leagues, but on the broadcast level as well? I think, you know, it's certainly we're getting there. I mean, F1 is probably an extreme example. There's a ton of data and stats that are being uh, put there. You know, baseball is another one where stats is really important. I just think each sport is probably a little different uh, into their level, you know, of interest in doing this. Um, but, you know, I think I think that's certainly where we're headed and where that second screen experience augments the, the actual broadcast experience. I think something that we're experimenting with, too. I mean, frankly, it's there's no... I don't think there's a playbook, you know, you know, per se. It's just a lot of experimenting, and some things are obvious, some things are not. How do you monetize it? Does it make financial sense to people who, you know, use it? Even though it's a great idea, still ways to go, frankly. In that, that monetization component is a really interesting one because, like you mentioned, there's lots of ways. Sporting events, attending a sporting event is costly regardless today, especially professional sporting events. And I think that the ability to create new revenue streams for the teams is important, but also create the intrinsic value for fans to say, I'm paying a lot of money to come to these events. Additional value would be great. I think this one's a little bit hard to ask building on the AR and VR component, but over the last six months, year, artificial intelligence and more specifically generative AI have come much more into the forefront. Are you seeing that start to creep into many of these sports implementations, whether it's from a, a fan engagement perspective or a venue perspective, or are those conversations a little too early currently in the sporting context? Well, when it comes to machine machine learning and AI, where I think we're already there. You know, you're seeing a lot of that already. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, before about F1 next gen stats, that is already there. That's been happening for a while. Uh, the generative AI is a is a interesting one that I think has potential to really change a lot of what's happening, you know, in sports. Um, so, you know, there's even work being done today to take data from the field, from the player, from camera data, 
and then really create a, a narrative, like almost a sports broadcast narrative out of all the data sets that you're getting using generative AI. So it's, it's basically video to text and then do it in a in a way that it is in the language of the actual broadcaster themselves. Right. So that's all just generated automatically. And then that could really be taken out to speech. Right. So you can sort of imagine at some point in the future where like a play by play is almost generated off of a game into another language without having to actually have other broadcasters actually do the translation for you. So that's not too far out, actually. That's an amazing use case, because I think you make a really good distinction in that one of the pieces that a lot of our listeners or students in my own course, we talked a lot about artificial intelligence, machine learning, but recently it focused more on generative AI and, and large language models, which we've seen more lately. Machine learning and artificial intelligence are baked into the core of what Amazon Web Services does, the core of technology for quite some time now. It's more the generative component in the large language models that we're seeing now. And I hadn't seen it or thought of a really great use case for that, but the one you mentioned is, is really great. But on the backside of that, Artificial intelligence and machine learning is core to a lot of the things that you do today, just separate and apart from the generative component of it. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's being used today. We're working with you know teams today using AI ML to help them you know determine proper draft picks. So you analyze all these different stats on players um, and helps them with their draft selections. And which is incredible to see. We think about that a lot because. Baseball is one area where it comes to the forefront because of the volume of statistics. And you mentioned earlier, it's a sport where statistics really matter and fans really want those pieces. And I think that's oftentimes where people think of, oh, machine learning, artificial intelligence could play a really big role there because of analyzing that data, which is true. I also think that we're starting to see more of the use cases expand beyond that to things like we've talked about with fan engagement and venues themselves. But do you see use cases inside of things like fan engagement or more talking about generative AI or more around like you talked about with the broadcast component? Uh, yeah, certainly, because you think about um, generative AI really is helping to, I mean, by the names, right? You're generating content, but that doesn't get generated unless it learns something. And so if you're gathering data about a fan and you want to create a great fan experience, let's say on their app, for example, or you want to you know, give them some different experiences in the venue itself is being able to take that information that is learned on a fan and then really at scale generate personalized information, personalized content for the fan, whether it is how do I find my way around from, you know, leaving my house to my seat, what's the optimal way for me to actually get there, you know, something like that. Or it could be, you know, even in the venue itself, you know, the actual experience on the on the app, it's a second screen experience that is dynamic and learns based upon how many times you've been there, what your interests are, and that content is auto-created, you know, for you and not just preset based upon programming, you know, done in the app. Those things are really exciting to me because I do think it adds a lot of value. It adds value of things that you would want to do and seek them out and things that we mentioned of taking time away from watching the actual event, if those things are much more curated and done better, you don't have to spend the time, oh, I need to find this concession. My kid wants this and I have to go to the other side of the stadium. It can really help to generate those things. There's a million different directions and questions that I could take this, but I get you out of here on this. I mentioned those things excite me, but as someone who works at the intersection of sports and technology and is, is really ingrained in these conversations every day, what excites you most as we look forward from a sports and technology perspective? 
Um, well, I think some of the things that are really exciting me, certainly the generative AI is is pretty exciting. I don't think we've really even begun. Like I gave one use case, but there's really a bunch of use cases, you know, from this um, that we haven't really even explored yet. Um, I think it's the, the certainly improving the fan experience in a way that is not distractive to them. That's very personalized. I think it's a everybody wants to have an experience that feel like they're known. That's just a human part of human nature. And so the teams can do a better job of that using technology and the data sets that they they can, you know, can gather to help do that. I think that's a big thing going forward for the fan. Like I want you to know me and I want you to not be invasive, but I want you to do things for me to make me feel, you know, unique and special. Uh, so that's one part of the other part of this the back end of that, which is really a lot of what drives the actual revenue for the teams is broadcast sponsorship. So how can you improve the sponsor uh, monetization based upon the information you know that you're able to share, that you're able to generate those insights you can't get? Like you mentioned earlier, and um, we were talking offline, is the ability to even just look at a picture, figure out a sponsor that's actually in that picture, and then how do I give that feedback back to the sponsors? But this is the value that you've paid me this certain amount of money. This is what you're getting out of that because it's hard to really measure that today. So there's so many directions like that we can actually go. Um, and I think what the other part I think is pretty interesting is is the valuations of sponsorship and broadcast going forward. Because if you take examples, maybe many people you know remember remember this article back just about a year ago. It was Spotify and FC Barcelona where Spotify was actually going to sponsor the FC Barcelona team. But, and they basically asked them, like, how many fans do you have? And they said, well, here's how, you know, we have millions, hundreds of millions of fans, but they didn't really actually know the fans. So it actually dropped the valuations of the sponsorship from Spotify. So I think it really woke a lot of people up that, like, the teams really need to know their fans because there is a monetization requirement, both from a sponsor perspective. And then when you think about streaming in the future, you're going to really know how many people are actually connecting, you know, to your app. So there's evaluations that are going to be impacted by these data sets that teams either have or they don't actually have. It's a really great way to bring it full circle in the sense that a lot of what technology can provide. And I think sometimes we've gone the other way with certain services, but what it really does provide is an understanding and and a two-way understanding of the teams can understand the fans, which creates a better experience, but then the fans can understand how to interact with the team and do, you know, interesting things that they want to do. So it's, a great way to bring that full circle. And Greg, we really appreciate the time today. For me, it's exciting because I don't get to talk about technology in, in the intersection of technology and sports on this podcast a lot. So I greatly appreciate the time with that. And I know the listeners will as well. Yep. Thanks for your time, Bryce. It was really exciting to talk and uh, happy to come back again. Thank you so much, Greg. All right.